All right, today we're in Genesis chapter 41. If you have your Bibles, it would be great. Turn with me. We're going to look at uh, verses 37 through 50, the title of our message as we are studying the life of Joseph uh, throughout Genesis, um, basically the, the last um, segment of the book of Genesis deals with his life, deals with the life of Joseph. And so we started about chapter 39, 38, 39, we're going to go all the way through chapter 50. And today we come to the grand promotion. This is the day that many of us have been looking forward to because we have tra- traveled with Joseph over these last 13 years. Uh, he was sold into slavery by his brothers probably around the age of 17, and now he's 30 years of age. He spent 13 years, most of those years he was spent falsely accused and incarcerated as a criminal, as a prisoner, but we see in a moment's time, I mean in the blink of an eye, Joseph's life is radically changed. Now, when I say a person's life is radically changed, a lot of times change has the connotation of, of negativity, like, like that baby. Somebody said the only person that likes change is a wet baby, and I, there's a lot of truth to that. And a lot of times we say, well, change for the worse, but no, not necessarily. It also could be changed for immensely better. And we're about to see Joseph as God lifts him literally out of a prison and places him uh, in a palace. God's going to lift him up out of a dungeon, a dark, deep, ugly place in his life, and he's going to put him in a place of preeminence and prominence, and he's going to be second only to Pharaoh himself. And you can only attribute this promotion to Almighty God. And so what I want to do today is I want to read this text to you. And I'm going to resist the urge. Oftentimes I just can't resist it. I can't resist as I publicly read God's Word, make some explanatory comments, but this time I'm going to try. I'm just going to try to read the text as it is, and then we're going to come back and we're going to try to explain some of these verses of Scripture. And secondly, we're going to give some words of application. I have three things I really want to leave with you today by by way of application. John Broadus, the great preacher of the 1800s said, the greatest thing you can do in a sermon, the most important part of the sermon, is application. You have explanation and illustration, that's important, but how does the truth of God apply to my life? And I want to tell you, there are so many nuggets, so many jewels of truth that the Holy Spirit who inspired this book is the same Holy Spirit who will illuminate your mind and my mind and my heart and your heart so that we can apply the deep truths of God from His Word. But first of all, we're going to read it. Somebody said one of the great benefits of expositional preaching is you get to read the Scripture. That's an important statement. One of the great benefits for a congregation if a pastor will preach expositionally is there will be a time where there will be a public reading of the Word of God. And so let me read to you. And don't always do this, but I feel led to do it today. Would you stand as we read God's Word in Genesis chapter 41? And I'm going to read verses 37 through 57. Pastor, that's 20 verses. I don't know if I can stand that long. Hey, I'm going to stand up here for about an hour and a half. So if I can do that, then surely you can stand for a moment. So the advice, the advice, it was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all of his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God, Elohim, has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. 
you shall be over my house and over my people. And over my, all of my people shall be ruled according to your word, and in regard to, your, to the throne will I be greater than you. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring off of his hand, and he put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen, and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before Joseph, bow the knee. So he set him, Joseph, over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Mercy. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, I think, that's how you say that. Poti sounds better than Potty. So Potipharah, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, and he went throughout all the land of of Egypt. Now in the seven plentiful years the ground brought forth abundantly. So he, Joseph, gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea, until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of the famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all of my toil and all of my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended. And the seven years of famine would began, and it began to come, and just as Joseph said, and the famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. Just go to Joseph, and whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. And finally, verse 57 says, So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all the lands. Father, we do commit this time to You, this time of biblical study and teaching. Lord, thank You for Your Word that You have preserved this sacred text for us today. Lord, may we understand what we read, but most of all, God, God the Holy Spirit, would you apply to us, to moms and dads and students, to single adults, to married adults, to senior saints, to all of us, God, adolescents, apply to the, us the truth of the Word of God, for this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. So let's get right into the word of explanation. There are many things I want to point out in this text, 
And so it's probably a good idea if you'll just keep your Bible open, and as we make commentaries and make kind of like a homily, as we walk through the sacred Scripture, we'll make points, and uh, you can, I've got lots of uh, information there in your outline. You can jot these things down. And first of all is a word of explanation. Verse 37 says, the advice was good. What was the advice? The advice was the interpretation of the dream. Remember that Joseph gave to Pharaoh. Pharaoh had this dream, and Joseph interpreted it properly, correctly. Seven years, Pharaoh, you're going to have seven years of great plenty. There's going to be a harvest in the land, and it's going to be fantastic, but it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. And Pharaoh, what we got to do during the years of plenty is we've got to be, well, we've got to be meticulous. We need to save, store up 20 percent, a double tithe, a fifth of all this produce, because there's coming a time in the famine we're going to need every bit of it to feed our people. And so Pharaoh heard that, and he said, the advice that you have given to me, it is good advice. So A, he gives him a compliment. In verses 38 and 39, he says three things about Joseph. He gives him a great compliment. First of all, he says, you are a distinct man, such a one as this. Pharaoh was telling Joseph, you are unique, you are special, you are unlike any other man that I have ever met. You are, who has ever seen somebody like this who could interpret the Pharaoh's dream when all the astrologers all the Egyptian wise men, all the scholars, all the erudite people of our schools and of our land, nobody could interpret the dream except this Hebrew. Who among us is like this great young man? Number two, he gave him a word of compliment. He said, you are a spiritual man. Notice the Scripture says in verse 38, a man in whom is the Spirit of God. That's interesting, isn't it? Pharaoh, a pagan king, knows that something is very special about Joseph. He is unlike all the other uh, priests and religious people because the Holy Spirit of God is on him. And notice this in verse 39, he says, God has shown you all of this. Others could see the work of God, the hand of God, and most of all, the Spirit of God operative in the life of Joseph. That's an important statement. Let me say it again. Pharaoh and everybody else could see the work of God, the hand of God, and most of all, the Holy Spirit of God flowing through and operative in the life of this young Hebrew of 30 years of age. Number three, he said, you're a wise man. In fact, he uses this word, uh, bion in Hebrew. He says, you are discerning and wise. The Hebrew word there means mentally distinguished. You are on another level. You have understanding and intelligence and prudence and knowledge of, of the like. Joseph, I, I've, I've never seen in all of my life. This is a special young man. And all this compliment is coming from, at that time, was arguably the most powerful monarch, most powerful, potent individual in the world. This is coming none, from none other than the lips of Pharaoh. So number one is the compliment. Number two is the promotion. Verses 40 and 41, Joseph, here he goes. He's going from the pit, brothers, to the palace. He's going from the dungeon to great delight. Number one, it says, he is a leader, verse 40, in charge over Pharaoh's house. Come on now. That sounds familiar. Potiphar made him the leader over his house. 
the warden, the prison guard, made Joseph the leader over the prison house. And now Pharaoh, before he promotes him over all of the land of Egypt, Pharaoh says, Joseph, I want you to run the affairs of my house. Somebody that has the Spirit of God all over them and who can interpret dreams, I've not seen anybody quite like you. Would you just kind of run the affairs of my house before I promote you as, the, as leading the house of Egypt? Amazing compliment. Number two, he says, the ruler of all people. All the people are going to be ruled and led by Joseph. Number three, he gives them prominence. Verse 41 says, don't miss this church, over all the land of Egypt. Large and in, somebody help me, in charge. This is Joseph. I wonder if Joseph, in his heart of hearts, did not smile broadly and cry softly as he looked at the journey that God had taken him from the pit, and now God has promoted him to the place of prominence. And next, I want you to notice with me, C or three is prosperity. Verses 42 through 45, there are seven things I want you to notice about this, okay? Seven things. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Number one, I'm going to give you my signet ring. The word signet literally means to sink. And what, what would that look like would be a ring with the seal of the king's emblem. And that large ring, he gave it to Joseph, and Joseph would turn his hand over like this, and he would press that signet ring, that seal in the soft clay, and when he lifted his hand, it was the seal of nobody else but Pharaoh himself. So in other words, it's really like he has the power of the king. He has the authority of Pharaoh. This unknown, obscure, inauspicious young Hebrew, 30 years of age, now is ruling all of Egypt, and he has the king's authority to do so. Chuck Swindoll, I love what he says here. He says, y'all know what that means, don't you? It was the platinum charge card of the day. It was the way the king stamped the invoices, the laws, or anything else he wanted to verify or validate with his seal. Now Joseph had that ring on his finger, placed there by Pharaoh himself. Joseph wore the authority of the king's imprint, end of quote. Number two, it says, give him some fine linen. The Hebrew word sheshi, I just like to say, it's kind of an onomatopoeia, sheshi. It sounds, sounds smooth. It sounds silky. And that's what the word means. In Hebrew, it means silk. And in verse 42, when it says, put fine garments on this man. Hey, come on. Can you imagine what Joseph had been wearing? Can you imagine what he had smelled like? For all of those years incarcerated in the dungeon, and, and they've lifted him out of the dungeon, they've shaved him, uh, they've been probably anointed his body with oil, they've put on him now the sheshi, the, the fine linen of royalty. And Joseph is standing there. Next is the gold chain. Verse 42, Henry Morris calls this the emblem of authority, the gold chain wrapped around his neck. Verse 43 is the chariot. Think Jaguar, think Bugatti, think Mercedes, think Lexus, think like that. Because this chariot was second only to the chariot of Pharaoh. Don't think little Pinto Gremlin. I don't know if anybody remembers those, those vehicles. I mean, little Mustang too, like I used to drive around in college. That little yellow thing, bless its heart, just bebopped along. Don't think that. Think the $2 million Bugatti. Think about, think about the... Uh, uh, the Maserati, or what am I forgetting? What? 
Lamborghini, that's a good one. Think that, all right? And then see Joseph sitting in that chariot, riding large and in charge. Number, number five, it says, his fame, he will be instantly recognized. When you see Joseph, bow the knee, honor him, re recognize him in all the land. Next is authority. Verse 44, I, I think, is a little hyperbole, you know, which means exaggeration. But you, you understand what Pharaoh is doing, right? In verse 44, he says, nobody can lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Now, when the Bible uses hyperbole, it does not mean that all the millions of people, before they could pick up their sticks to make their fire, they say, Joseph, can I pick up my sticks to make my fire? Well, of course, that's hyperbole. I mean, he, but he's saying it so that we don't miss it, that he, he has that kind of authority. That kind of leadership has been divested to Joseph by Pharaoh himself. And then finally, he's got a new name and a wife, all right? Let's look at this for a moment. His name and his wife's name both contain the word Noth, N-A-T-H, which was an Egyptian goddess of Egypt, okay? Neith was one of the Egyptian goddesses of Egypt. And Pharaoh, remember, he's a pagan king, and he's trying his best to wrap his mind around this holy man and this, this man of God, and he didn't, know, he didn't know what to do, so he says, well, I'll just, Noth, I'll name you, and you, you see his name. And it contains that name, Noth, and so does uh, his wife's name. And see what's going on here is Pharaoh is trying to give a compliment to a man of God. Zephnoth, Pania, and Asenah. He just knows he's in the presence of a holy man, and he, as a secular pagan king, is doing everything he can to honor and recognize this man of the cloth, if you will, this righteous man. That's prosperity. The next, notice with me, number four is the blessing, verse 46. Verse 46, he's 30. Thirteen years were tough, but they were refining years for Joseph, and now he's matriculated. He, now he's graduated from God's school of preparation. It's a PhD, it's, it's um, 13 years of chiseling his character, molding him into the man of God that God wants him to be. It's interesting to me in verse 46 that the first thing Joseph does, did y'all catch that? It was very hard for me not to say this when I was reading the Scripture. In verse 46, the first thing Pharaoh did is he left Pharaoh and he went straight to work. Did anybody see that? Did you notice that? He, he went and learned the lay of the land. The first thing he did after all, I mean, listen, he didn't let it get to his head because he has no ego. The ego's gone. You don't have an ego when you're in prison for 13 years and you've been broken and decimated. Everything after that is a blessing, my friend. And so now when Pharaoh says, here's all this, he goes, okay, thanks, God, appreciate it. Now let me get to work. Man, I like guys like that. Not, yeah, that's right, brothers, look at me, I am the man, I had this dream, I am the guy. He didn't do any of that, and that's why God chose him. He wasn't looking to be chosen. God passes over people of entitlement, and He chooses those who think they don't deserve it. That's just the way God works, and I love that. And by the way, God still does that today. He chooses the inconspicuous, the inauspicious, those that we would look over, those that we would pass by. The seven sons of Jesse pass by, and Samuel says, do you have any more boys? Well, I do, and there he is, and David is out in the field working 
while the other seven are sitting, and God chooses him. I'm resisting the urge to go to application. Let me stay with explanation. Thank you. Who else is 30 and has done great things for God? Well, David, Daniel was a teenager, Josiah was eight when he came into the kingdom, Mary, Virgin Mary was a teenager, Billy Graham catapulted into great ministry. He was just shy of his 30th birthday, much like Joseph. Number five is the prophecies fulfilled and the plan is executed. Let me give you a minute to write that down. Prophecy fulfilled and the plan is now executed. Verses 47 through 49. The dream is fulfilled precisely as Joseph had said, is a land flowing, not with milk and honey, but it is a land flowing with grain as the sand of the sea, verse 49. And just like he dreamed, Pharaoh dreamed it, Joseph properly interpreted, verses 53 through 57, then comes the famine. And now they're ready. There's no worry. I mean, there's a plan in place. And and Joseph, he's, he's leading the plan. It's been seven years, and he's like, guys, don't panic. We knew this was coming. Twenty percent has been saved, one-fifth. And so he begins to sell the produce to the Egyptians. And the reason he sells it is because it has taken a lot of effort and a lot of time for the government to get all of that produce in the silos, in the barns. And so they sell it to the people so that they don't bankrupt the government. It's a great plan, and it works. And then next, I want you to notice finally by word of explanation, I want you to notice Joseph's family, how God blesses him and honors him with a family. Joseph married one woman, guys. You don't read like you read about a bunch of the patriarchs in the Bible, that they had multiple wives and multiple children by multiple wives. Not this guy. He has two boys. One's name's Manasseh, and the other one's name is Ephraim. Now, those words have a lot of meaning. Manasseh means this. One writer says, he, he, not in the sense that he had no memory of his family. This is very important. Listen carefully. Not, not that he didn't have any memory of his family, R.T. Kendall, I mean, uh, Morris, Dr. Morris writes, but rather the bitterness had been removed. You with me? It's not that he couldn't remember his family, his father and his brothers. Oh, yeah, you, you don't forget your father. You don't forget your brothers, but men of God forgive those who've done them wrong so they can be in right relationship with God. And that's where, that's where Joseph is. Listen, had Joseph come out of that prison, fired up and ready, mad, bitter, acrimonious, and saying, my land, why y'all keep me in here forever, blah, 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 God would have went, just passed him by. Because God's not going to bless and use acrimonious, bitter people. I said this last week. Let me say it again. And, and R.T. Kendall's right, the greatest way we quench the Holy Spirit of God is through unforgiveness, through bitterness. That acrimonious spirit that the Holy Spirit is grieved, the dove removes, and we are left, we are left in, our, in our sin. And so, Joseph, he is forgiven. He, he's not bitter. He just says, your name is Manasseh. God has allowed me to forget all of that pain. And then he names his next son Ephraim. I like that name. He names him Ephraim. Look at verses 50 through 52. I'm having a hard time seeing it. There it is, 52. 
For God has caused me to be fruitful, that's what that name means, fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now that's words of explanation, and now I want to transition, segue into just three words of application, and then we'll wrap it up, okay? Sound good, dads? You hungry, dads? Hey, by the way, praise the Lord for that guy that got baptized. Where are you for a moment? Can I see you just a second? There you are. There you are. Good to see you, brother. Bless you. I remember seeing you at Seton Hospital and invited you to come, and lo and behold, you came. You're welcome. Thanks for coming. Thanks for getting baptized. Man, that's awesome. That's good stuff. Good, good. Good stuff. Okay, let me give you some three words of application. I hope this helps you. And the first one is this, testing always precedes triumph. Testing comes before the victory or the triumph. I imagine there were those that day in the Egyptian royal court who were whispering under their breath, oh, just look at him. Who does he think he is? That ragtag Hebrew Jewish guy we don't like those people anyhow, I mean, but, but who does he think he is? I mean, he just walks in here at 30 years of age, and now he's overall. You, you don't think there's some bitterness going on in the court? Let me tell you. One of the most jealous, jealousy-infested bitter places is places of politics and places of power. And, and it's, I, I just know it's there. I sense it. And yet, Joseph, he just rises up. Critics are going to fall away. And Joseph is going to be left standing. Testing precedes triumph. You remember when he was beaten? You remember when he was falsely accused? Do you remember when the Son of God was nailed to a tree? Do you remember when he bled and when he died and when he said, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That's called testing. That's called crucifixion before resurrection, ascension, and the praise of the saints. If God did that to His Son, He will do that to you. If God did that to Joseph, He will allow you to go through that as well. I'm sitting on this mountain. Two hours alone with God, looking out over this vast mountain range. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart, and He said, He said a couple things that had to do with my life and my past, and I think also with my future, and both of them centered around this very kernel doctrine of truth, that unless you go through the test and the testing, there will be no triumph. I've yet to meet a scholar or an athlete. I've met to meet a, a surgeon or a lawyer or a good plumber or a good mechanic who had not first gone through the diligence, man, the discipline, the study, the hard work. All of that precludes, it precedes the graduation, the job, the victories, the promotion, the, 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 good, the good things of life, that that comes. But first must come the testing and the hardship. Testing always precedes 
triune. And I'm, this message is for everybody, but I really want to zone in to our teenagers, to our young professionals, our young adults. And let me give you a couple of things here. Number one, the easy road of instant gratification, shortcuts, and an undisciplined path is not the way to go. Now, some of you senior saints and older people should have whispered a little amen at that point. Let me, let me say it again. The easy road of instant gratification, shortcuts, and the undisciplined path is not the route or the route that you want to choose. Number two, the path of postponed pleasure, discipline, and waiting on God, that's the path you want to choose. And you have a choice. Alexander White, a great Scottish preacher, pastored one church in Edinburgh, Scotland for 47 years, almost half a century. He says, and I quote, Joseph was now to be plunged into the most corrupt society that that rotted in that age on the face of the earth. Great Hills, please listen. Radiant Church, listen carefully. And had he not come into that pollution straight out of a sevenfold furnace of sanctifying sorrow, Joseph would no more have been heard of. The sensuality of Egypt would have swallowed him up. But his father's God was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph to protect him, to guide him, to give him victory, and now the Lord promotes him. Don't forget that. Testing precedes triumph. Number two, let God and don't help God. Let God or allow God and don't help God. Joseph... (laughs) He did not jump out of the refiner's fire. Listen to the statement the Lord gave me. Had he aborted the refining process at any premature juncture, he would have come out bronze and not gold. Had he said, God, that's enough. Time out. No more. No more. I am done with this. God's school of the prophets or God's school of the kings, I have had enough. I'm getting off of the altar of living sacrifice. I'm done with this. And you and I would have never heard of it. He would have come out bronze, but God wanted him to come out gold. And if God's going to use you greatly, listen to me, friend, please, please don't tune me out. If God's going to use you greatly, first of all, he's going to crush you severely. He said, woohoo, woohoo. Thanks for sharing that with me. I, Tell you what, that's just the most discouraging thing I've ever heard in my life. Let me ask you, is it true? It's true. I see it in Joseph's life. I see it in Jesus' life. And I see it in many of your lives as well. Bobby Bowden is one of my favorite coaches. Y'all know he's still alive? He's 86 and just scored a hole in one the other day. Played golf for 50 years, he said, and in his 80s he got his two holes in one. 86 years old. It took a three-wood to reach 120 yards, but he did it. And for you golfers, you know that, you understand that. In his book, I read it a number of years ago, it's called More Than Just a Game, he said, every job I tried to get, I could not get it. Every time I waited on God, and I want to quote him, just so you all know this is not my word, quote, Every job I tried to get, I never got it, but when I waited on God, He blessed me, end of quote. 
University of Alabama. Why would anybody want to go there? I have no idea. <laughs> Wanted him. Auburn University, hey man, Auburn University. They wanted him. Everybody wanted him because he was waiting on God. But he went to Florida State University and he spent from 1976 to 2009 at the same university, won two national championships, was the team of the 90s. You know why? Because he was God's man in the right place at the right time. Every time he said, I tried to promote myself, every time I tried to send my resume, every time I tried to tell everybody how, what a great coach I was, God shut the door. But when I waited on God, He blessed me. He gave me my heart's desire. He placed me up on the pinnacle. Blessed be His holy name. And I'm telling you today, friend, God has not changed. That's the same God of Joseph, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, and Paul, and Peter, and John, and preeminently the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's His plan. Wait, be patient, serve, go through the testing. Don't don't help God. Wait on God. And watch what God will do. And this is my last thing, and I want to share this with you, and I want you to hear my heart on this one. It's going to come up on the screen, and I don't want you throwing things at me, okay? See, some of y'all looking at me going, I know what happened to you in the wilderness. You bumped your head upon some prosperity gospel rock, and you babbling heresy to us. Prosperity, wealth, and health, name it and claim it. That is not what I'm saying. Listen, there are some people in this room that God has blessed you financially. And I'm so glad He has. I had a friend of mine tell me one time, he said, My ministry would be impossible to India and to the world were it not for the generosity of Christians in America. Joseph now is. He is rich. He's filthy rich. He has more influence, more gold, more finance, more anything than he could ever spend. As Garth Brooks said a number of years ago, he said, I got more money than my grandkids could ever spend. And Joseph now has inherited this wealth. And I just want you all to know, as God has given him that, that's not evil. And you shouldn't judge Joseph for that. And God blessed him with it. In fact, Proverbs says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Vince Lombardi said one time, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And I disagree. (laughs) Just like I disagree with the person who says, money isn't everything, it's the only thing. I came across the following, and I thought this was interesting. Fifty people over the age of 95 were asked one question. Fifty people asked one question. You had to be an almost octogenarian. You had to be almost a hundred. Ninety-five years of age, fifty people. Let me ask you one question. If you could live your life over again, what would you do differently? I want to tell you, church, not one of them said, I would make more money. That's not what they said. Listen listen to the depth of what these men and women said. Number one, I would reflect more. Hmm. I'd slow down. 
I would think more. Number two, I would risk more. I'd take more risk. I wouldn't be so, you know, so much in my cocoon and everything's predictable and everything's lined up. I'd kind of branch out of that. Number three, I would do more things that would live on after I'm dead. And number four, you said, I thought you said there were only three. Chuck Swindoll came along and said, can I add a fourth? And I love this one. He said, if you were asking me that question, Chuck Swindoll said, I would be more affirming. Not that I would be more acrimonious. Not that I would be more bitter. Not that I would be trying to do this or do that or tell everybody how smart I am and how wrong they are. He said, no, I would try to be more affirming and encouraging to others. So those of you that are prospered and are blessed, I'm I'm grateful for you. And because of you, the kingdom of God is doing great things here at Great Hills and beyond because, and by the way, if you live in America and you drive what you drive and live where you live, you're blessed. Come, Come with me. Some of the places I go, I've been to India seven times. And I'll show you some people that would trade with you, and they would love to live in, in, in just your car, <laughs> okay? We're really, really blessed. Conclusion, last thing, and, and we're done. What has God said to you today? Has God said anything to you today? Through the reading of the Word of God, through the explanation, through the application, I would like for you just to close your eyes, just bow your heads in the stillness of this moment. So we just listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, not my voice. Listen to the voice of the one who wrote this book. Is God admonishing you to endure, persevere through your time of testing? Is God challenging you not to take a shortcut, not to preempt, not to help, but just wait on God? Please keep your head bowed. Keep your eyes closed. Listen to this. Is God telling you to quit worrying about promotions and pay increases? And God's saying, just be faithful. Be holy. I am the Lord God. I will provide for you. For some of you, God has spoken to you on a far deeper level. He's spoken to you about your soul. He's spoken and He is speaking about your eternality, about the decision you're about to make that will influence the way you live the rest of your life here and the way you live the rest of your life in eternity. Jesus died so that you would not spend an eternity in a Christless hell. Jesus died. He he took your sin upon His body on the cross and He was crucified. He, He paid the price. He paid the debt that you owed, that I owed so that we could be forgiven and cleansed and we could live a blessed life, a life of joy, a life of forgiveness. Do you have that life? Has there ever been a time where you said, God, take my stinking sin, my rags, and I exchange them for your robe of righteousness? Have you ever done that? Hey, dads, have you ever done that? If you haven't, would you do that now? You say, well, what do, I, what do I need to do? This is all new to me. This is all news to me. I've, now you know Joseph existed. What, how does this work? Here's how it works. 
Unless you become as a child and be converted, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have to humble yourself, friend. You've got to admit to God and to everybody what everybody else and God surely knows, that you're not the king of the world. You're not the king of the universe. You are a sinful person on your way to hell that God wants to rescue. So here's what you need to do. Just pray it. Pray it out loud if you want to, or pray it in your heart. Say, God, have mercy on my soul. I need you. Forgive me of my sins. I turn my life to you, and by faith I say, Jesus Christ is Lord. And with your head bowed and with your eyes closed, I I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to to let this be known, to let it be known. Let other people know that you have given your life to Christ so that we can encourage you and disciple you and see you grow in your new faith. Others of you here today, your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, your stomach's growling, amen? Come on, preacher. No, no, listen. Most important thing I can say to you today is what I'm saying right now. Some of you need to make commitments, decisions from your volition, from your very being. Commit to the Lord to be a better dad, a better father, a better husband, a grandfather, a better son, a grandson. On Father's Day, wouldn't it be awesome to see you take a public stand for God and make commitments that would last throughout this earthly life and throughout throughout all eternity. And for some of you, that means linking your life with the church. You know, joining a church today, it's it's interesting. It's become almost an uncool thing. I don't need God. I don't need the church. I'll just just solo. I'll just free ride. No, you, you need the church, and we need you. And if God is leading you, why don't you come and link your life with ours so we can do great things together that we can never do alone. So, Father, I'm praying. Woo! In the name above every name, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, that God, you would take the Word of God, preached by the man of God behind the sacred desk of God with the authority of God and all the power coming from God, and that you would change hearts, O God. You would bless marriages and families and relationships between dads and sons and dads and daughters and mothers and sons and mothers and daughters. And God, you do a work in this place, oh God. You would mend broken lives. Jesus, you said, I have come to heal the brokenhearted. I have come to set the captive free. But preeminently, Jesus, you said, I have come to preach the gospel. So I pray that the gospel falls upon fertile ground today and that men and women and lives and students and boys and girls are changed by the power of the gospel. And this is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, sing a song of invitation, a compassionate plea from the Lord to remove you from your seat, from where you are to where God wants you to be. For some of you, that means coming forward. Let somebody pray with you. Let somebody encourage you. You come. I'm going to be praying. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to be up here praying. I want you to come. God bless you as you come.